Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. I'm getting some monitor now. All right. Oh, well, eventually we'll get this little bug mixed out. We had, I was trying the other mic and it was, it had been taped so that the thing didn't adjust because, uh, you know, Bill usually uses it. <laughs> so, um, and it was, this one's just a little weirder. All right. All right. Well, we lost a monitor. Um, we're in Psalms chapter 30. If you want to turn there, we're going to pray and then we're going to jump into that. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. We praise you that you are king of the universe. You've brought us here to just celebrate you and to hear your word and to have fellowship with one another. We pray that you would be glorified as we as we open your word and you'd give us minds to uh, to understand and and hearts to to hear your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Psalms chapter thirty is a Thanksgiving psalm, so happy Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> but it also is a psalm that's uh, we know is sung also during Hanukkah. So it, this is kind of a seasonal song. Um, the Talmud refers to First Maccabees when uh, Antiochus Epiphanes destroyed the temple, came in and desecrated the temple, and they uh, the the institution of Hanukkah started, and they had rededicated the temple, and during that it refers to them having sung this psalm. And it dates back to that. You'll There's actually one reference in Ch- John chapter 10 um, that Jesus celebrates Hanukkah. Uh, it doesn't quite say it that way, but if you add up the dates and understand what's going on, that's what's happening. So this is a, a time of celebration. Now, the psalm itself is traced back to uh, probably when David brought the ark to the tabernacle, because there was no temple for David. Um, that would have been maybe around Second uh, Samuel chapter 5. And there's a reference in the beginning. Uh, it, the first part says, this is a psalm of David, verse 1, a song at the dedication of the house. Now, some think this is the house, the tent that was dedicated. Some think it's the the uh, the when they set up the ark at the house of Aruna uh, later. Uh, and some think this is when David built his own house. So there's all those references. But in all those instances, they were celebrating and dedicating a house. And so there's reason to believe that. Deuteronomy actually tells us before the soldiers entered into war, they were to go home and dedicate their house in case they died and some other man comes and dedicates their home. Um, and, and so there was this tradition of when we are starting something, we dedicate that space to the Lord. And I think that's that's a a important thing that we do when we're starting a new activity or when we're coming into a new season in life. 
it's time to just reevaluate and refocus where we are. And what you're going to see in this chapter specifically is that as David does that, he recounts where he's been and where God's brought him. And I think that's part of when we come to a place where where we know, you know, we're moving on or we're doing something new, we need to remember where we came from. And that's what David's doing. He's saying, listen, I had some great times and then I had some horrible times. And yet through it all, God was faithful. And that's what we're going to see in the psalm today. Um, verse 1 says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me, O Lord. My God, I cry to you for help, and you healed me. David is testifying to the works that God's done in his life. He is... Uh, has been lifted up, I don't know how many times we see in, in in his life, as we've, just the times that are recounted, when Saul went to try to kill him, when uh, multiple people tried to take over the throne, he had all kinds of problems. But yet, God was faithful through that. He had healed him physically, as well as this actual word itself can refer to physical healing, but it can also refer, refer to a, a mental or emotional relief, this spiritual restoration. And I think that's something we need to understand, that, that God does that. When we recount what he has done over our life, we can look back and say, he has brought me through everything that I've dealt with. And, and, and that peace that he's already done that allows us to endure the moment that we're facing now and, and allows us to, to celebrate in the moments that, that seem hard. Verse 3 says, O oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol and you have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. This Sheol is, is the, the place of the departed spirits. But one of the things that I want you to notice here is the pit... Um, this word actually first comes up in Genesis 37, where Joseph is thrown in the pit by his brothers. They're about to, they're, they're, they want to kill him. And yet, in the midst of that, it says uh, his, his brothers saw some other guys, and he, they sold him off to slavery. And in the midst of all that, he didn't stay in the pit. God brought him on and set him up to become a ruler for a purpose. And David is, in some ways, pulling back that reference, saying, God, let me struggle. God, let me deal with all these people, even in my own family, that came against me, that, that struggled, and yet established me as the king, and established me in the position that he desired me to be in, for the purpose to do his work. And so I can celebrate and I can dedicate my, my time to him. He goes on to say, Sing praise to the Lord, you, his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Who are the godly ones? That's, that's us. Those who, who love the Lord. He is called as holy. And that's the call that we should have. 
as we realize that God has been faithful in our life, it should cause us in the same way to call others to celebrate with us that God is faithful. And that's the whole point of this psalm. God is faithful, and I'm calling everybody to see what he's done in my life and testify to the problems I had, yet to see that God is glorified. Interesting here, in the midst of this celebration and God sustaining and the call to worship, often we forget, we, we, we get into worship and we think this is you and me, God, right? This is our intimate time to worship the Lord. Wearsby says, personal worship that doesn't enrich corporate worship may become selfish and lead to more pride. When, when we worship and it's just about me, we've missed it. We miss the heart. And, and what David is doing here, and, and you're going to see in just a moment, that's kind of where he goes. It becomes, hey, look what God's done for me. Instead of it being, look what God's done for the nation. Look what God has accomplished. And, and bringing others into that worship, it, it becomes selfish and self-centered. And we need to be very, very careful that our experience doesn't trump our relationships. In that God has called us to relationship with one another. That's the heart of what the gospel is. I am calling you to a new family relationship with one another. What was the problem? Israel were the people of God and the Gentiles were not. And what got them fighting the most? When the Christians started saying, God is saving Gentiles grafting them in, bringing them into the kingdom. And God loves them just as much as he loves you. That got a lot of people killed. Just that idea that, that the family is expanding. And that's the heart of the gospel, that the family of God is expanding. And we need to have that, ex- that expanding experience of the gospel. I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> Craig Boyles says... Uh, Thanksgiving, according to the Psalms, is clearly not to be a private affair between the believer and God, but is to be sung before all the saints. Ephesians uh, and Colossians both clarify this. Ephesians says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody with your heart to the Lord. That's, That's how we are to interact with each other. It should bring on joy to the other people around you. Colossians says the same thing. Let the word of God richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Right? We're going to let it radiate into our body. We're going to let the word change us and then call others to be changed as well. We're going to teach. We're going to admonish. How do we do that? Here it says... Admonish one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and singing with a thankful heart, uh, with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Same statement, just about that. 
there should be a melody in our lives that radiates this thankfulness for what God has done. To and interesting in the two verses, one is making melody with your heart, and the other one is thankfulness in your heart. What is the melody? It is appreciating what God has done for you. It's real hard to struggle when we're being appreciative. And and there are sometimes when when we struggle to be appreciated as as ourselves. But when we are appreciating God, it allows us a peace that, that allows us to to know that He's in control. Interesting here, it is to his holy name, uh, or at the remembrance of his name or holiness. As we recall what God has done for us, and in spite of us, we should respond with that same thankfulness. Verse 5 says, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night. But a shout of joy comes in the morning. You know, Isaiah told Israel, for a brief moment, I forsook you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you. That's the heart of God. There are times when our sin separates us, but he is loving and compassionate despite that. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Interesting. In King James, it says it a little bit different. It says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It is simply because he's merciful that we're not consumed. Because his compassion never fails, they are new every morning. That's a, a very harsh statement, but it's a true statement. He is merciful moment to moment. You know, we talk about why do bad things happen. In essence, it's because of the mercy of the Lord. He is patient, wishing, desiring for all to come to repentance. Yet, they're in rebellion. When you're in rebellion against something, what do you do? You fight it. You are do the opposite of what you're told to do. What are we told to do? Love your enemy. What's the opposite? Go kill your enemy, right? What's love your neighbor as yourself? That's that's the heart of the gospel. People that don't have the spirit are in rebellion against that. And it's very obvious why the world is the way it is with that understanding that God is merciful and gracious even to those while you were yet sinners. Doesn't mean he won't judge. 
for David, he had seen the anger of the Lord, having been the cause of it on multiple occasions. <laughs> Yet, the key for him was he was quick to repent. And in light of all those experiences, God blessed the nation and blessed his family and blessed the world through him because he was quick to repent and quick to turn back to God. And David is calling the same heart for us. God's anger and his wrath are not the same as the way we think it is for us. It's different. There is a grace involved in it. John 16.20 says, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What's he talking about? When Jesus dies. The world is going to celebrate the death of Jesus. Why? Because they think they've overcome God. On the other side, you're going to lament and weep because Jesus has ascended and, and you don't see him face to face anymore. You're going to have struggles in this world. But be aware, I've overcome the world. What's the second part of that verse? You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. That's a promise. The struggles that we're having today, God promises to trans, transition, transpose, trans, into joy. And that's a hope that we need to be living under. Verse 6 says, Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O oh Lord, by your favor, you've made my mountain to stand strong. And you hid your face, and I was dismayed. One of the biggest problems we have is when God makes things good for us, we can easily fall into pride. For David, prosperity became a problem. And we have lots of people in this world in this country preaching a prosperity message that if you are following God then good things are going to happen to you he's going to make everything prosper and the reality is he does make things better but when things get really good we fall into pride and so sometimes it's grace that he doesn't give you the things that you think you want. Because if you got those things, what would happen in your life? Look at me. I'm I have everything that that God ever that I ever asked God for. How easy would it be to fall into pride? He's gracious to us not to do that. Interesting, the word prosperity in this, this text 
literally means careless ease. You got to a point in your spiritual life, in your physical life, that your experience became carelessness and ease. It's all good. And what happened? You, God turned his face away. For us, we need to be very careful that our experience of life doesn't just become careless ease. Job says the same thing. Job 16, I was at ease and then he shattered me. Was this for Job or was there another thing happening? I think they're both. It was for Job to be tried and proven faithful. It was for the other circumstance that was happening. But there was a point where he thought, oh, things are going to be fine. And they weren't. God allowed him to suffer a little bit, to struggle, to really face some hard, hard things. He lost his whole family. And everybody turned against him. First Corinthians 15 says, Now David had built his... Corinthians... Chronicles 15... First uh, Chronicles 15 says, Now David had built houses for himself in the city of David, and he had prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. The question comes later, do you sit in luxury Why your God sits in a tent? Have you come to careless ease while God's people are suffering, while there's struggles going on all around you, and God's calling you to be a part of those struggles, to be the hands and feet of Christ. Is your priority right? Is it about you, or is it about God? David had become focused on building his house, his palace, prospering. There was wonderful things going on, but it had become self-centered. Look what God's done for me. William Struther says, Prosperity is more pleasant than profitable to us. We're never in greater danger than in the sunshine of prosperity. To be always indulged of God and never to taste of trouble is rather a token of God's neglect than of his tender love. If you're not experiencing a little challenge, how do you appreciate when it's really good? He allows that so that we can appreciate the wonderful things he has for us. Often, when trying trying times come, we feel like, like God has hidden his face from us. And sometimes he has because of our pride. 
But in that, we are to turn to him and become desperate for him. You ever been in a store or somewhere and a parent and their kid are just wandering around and then the kid's just not paying attention and the parent stops or hides a little bit or does something like that and the kid's like, where'd they go? Oh no, right? I think God does the same thing for us. There are times when we get so distracted with all kinds of other things, with serving or doing whatever it is, that he's like, listen, I need you to be desperate for me. And so he hides his face. He allows us to struggle a little bit and become desperate for him. That's where we need to be, constantly desperate to see his face. Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord has n- Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull that it can't hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. That's a scary place to be in. When your sins have brought your relationship with God to the point of him not hearing you anymore. Hebrews 12 says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Those times of disciplining are intentional times to train you in righteousness, to produce something glorious, the fruits of righteousness. It's not when you're being trained, but after you have been trained by those times. What did Paul say? I've learned the secret of going with plenty and going with nothing. It's Christ in me. Verse 8 says, You, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? What happens when we get to those desperate times? We need to turn to the Lord. Matthew Henry says, Prayer is the salve salve, uh, for every sore. Every time you have something hurting, what are we to do? Turn to the Lord in prayer. Seek, why is this happening? And then trust that he's in control of it. And then we can have peace in the midst of it. David starts by recounting his value. He goes back and says, Lord, if I die, what what value am I to you? He starts reasoning with God and arguing, hey, am I worth it? Should you keep me alive? We're 
dust and we return to the dust. And does the dust praise you? Right? Will it be able to declare your faithfulness if I die? What's the key? David wants to praise the Lord. And he says, I have value. You gave me this life. You gave me a spirit. Interesting, uh, this, this idea of the soul that you'll see in the end is the same word glory. And we're granted a soul for that express purpose of glorifying God. To reveal who he is. We are made in the image of God. We have a purpose. And he says, my purpose is to glorify you. And if I'm dead, how can I do that? And he becomes desperate. It's interesting that that as we go through scripture, that often the prayers in scripture start with an argument. You read through Psalms. There's all kinds of arguing with God. What are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? How how is this glorifying you? And I think that's valid. You know, so often people are like, "Oh, don't you can't question God." It's not just questioning. It's literally arguing. Do you have relationships where you argue? Sometimes real relationships have tension, and that's okay. Sometimes you need to have a little tension with God. And you need to really grapple through, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in this situation? And question. It's okay to do that. But here's the catch. It always ends in one place. Trust and hope that God is in control of it and I am at peace with what you're doing. If you haven't come to that place, that final conclusion, you haven't played it, prayed it through. You've started the argument, and then you walked away. How often do we pray like that? We start an argument, and then we walk off, and we don't want to finish the argument because we might be wrong, or we might have a problem. <laughs> That's not the way God wants us to be. He wants us to come to him, really grapple with the issues, and be honest. And then to trust him. Verse 10 says, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord, my helper. David has come full circle. He has prayed it all the way through and said, I I did good things, and then I came to pride. And that left me wanting. And then I became desperate for you. And in that desperation, I became totally dependent on you. And that's where he wants us to be. Totally dependent on him. Prayer should bring us to a complete desperation and reliance on his grace. 
the reality is we don't deserve anything. And if you think you do, you you need to re-examine your value. You have sinned against God. It is His grace that we exist in this moment. It's His mercy that allowed all of this to continue. But He values us. And that's why He gives us grace. So we do have value. We are important to God, each of us. We have a place beside the King. He loves us and wants us to have relationship and fellowship with him. Hebrews says, Now let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We have access now because of what Christ has done, we can now come boldly to the throne. Verse 11 says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. God's disciplining hand and subsequent healing touch moved David from complacent prosperity into joyful dancing. How did he get there? He had a willing heart of repentance. He had brokenness. And he was honest in his prayer. As we're disciplined and as we grieve, we can put the situations into a right perspective, entrusting all the situation to his wisdom, and in light of our mourning, he turns it into dancing. He has transported us to a new kingdom. We are not of the darkness of this world. We are of a new kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom filled with hope and joy. Scripture says the kingdom of God is righteousness. It starts with good behavior that follows a right Lord, that says, you are right. Peace between us and God and between each other. That's where the kingdom resides, is in peace. And finally, joy in the Holy Spirit that comforts us and gives us a peace beyond all understanding. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. For David, that joy is a present joy. 
He's come to dedicate a house and say, look what God has brought us through. God is faithful to meet your needs today. And he allows you to struggle a little bit. Because he wants you to be desperate for him. Why is David happy here? Because he's been gifted this life. And all of us have that today. God has allowed you to live. As you enter into this new season, it's my prayer for you that you would come to life that this season would be a season of celebrating all that God has done in your life and the lives around you and that you would be filled with joy despite all the chaos of this world that he would truly fill you with joy now and throughout the year we're here to celebrate we're coming into thanksgiving that should be your heart to be thankful to the Lord we're going into Hanukkah where God provided light for the temple most of many of you probably have never read Maccabees but that's the whole story God provided this light there's a lot more to it but (laughs) he provides light and so we celebrate Also, that Christ has come to provide light for us. To reveal the invisible God. And I'm excited about that. Father, we thank you that you have given us Jesus. To reveal yourself. To reveal your heart of love and grace to us. You've allowed us to recognize our pride and have called us to submission and humility, to brokenness and to call out to you, to draw near to you. So Lord, we want to do that today. We want to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.